Let's get into the Word of God this morning. Um, <clears throat> it's unfortunate that uh, politicians, political campaigns, and advertising agencies have hijacked, and they now use a word that ought to describe the church and God's people. I think back to the 2016 uh, presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton running for president. She, her campaign slogan was, Stronger Together. You think of President Biden's current administration agenda, Build Back Better Together. Uh, trying to encapsulate that word. Friday night I was watching a hockey game, watching my home team up in Canada play, and one of the commercials from Canada, one of the ads there, uh, used that word together, something together, whatever the product was that they were advertising there. And when we look at the scriptures, and in particular the text that we're going to consider today, we find that God's people are to be, there you guys, you got the word. I'm thinking you guys are going to say we're to build back together. I don't know. Anyways, uh, anyways, yeah, we're to be together, right? Um, and if we're to summarize the message, if we're to, to put today's sermon into a sentence, it could be this sentence. For the work of God to be accomplished, God's people must do it together, right? For the work of God to be accomplished, God's people must do it together. And so having found your place in the scriptures, let's read our text this morning. <clears throat> in uh, Joshua chapter 1, we can divide it into two halves. Joshua chapter 1, we can divide it into two halves. Last Sunday, we looked at the first nine verses, and we considered the call of God on Joshua's life. He was commissioned by God to lead God's people into the land that God had promised to give to them. Today, we're going to look at the second half of that chapter. And in the second half of the chapter, we're going to see Joshua's charge. He's going to, or Joshua's command. He's going to take charge of leading God's people into the land that God had promised to them. And so with that as our background, let's read God's word together this morning. We're going to look at verses 10 through 18. And then we'll try to consider what God is saying to us through this account in the life of Joshua in the history of the Old Testament people of God. So verse 10, so Joshua, having been called by God, having been called to lead the God's, God's people into the promised land, Joshua, first action, ordered the officers of the people, and this, is what he, this was his order, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Verse 12, but to the Reubenites, the Reubenites were one of the 12 tribes, the Gadites, again, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle must cross over ahead of your of your fellow Israelites, ahead of your brethren. You are to help them until the Lord gives, you, gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And where you, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. 
whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, who does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so let's consider here this morning what God is saying to us uh, in this uh, scripture. In one of the uh, Peanuts cartoons, there's an episode where Linus is pictured watching television, and into the room walks Lucy, and Lucy um, demands that Linus turn the TV channel to a channel she wants to watch. And so Linus replies, he says, well, what gives, you that, what gives you the right to just walk in and tell me to turn the channel to whatever you want to watch? And Lucy responds by looking at her hand, and she says, these five fingers by themselves individually may not seem much, but together they're a powerful force of action. Next frame, Linus, well, what channel did you want to watch? Final frame, Linus is walking out of the room talking to his hands. Why can't you guys ever get organized? In our text today, we find Joshua taking command to organize God's people to accomplish God's work. And in the passage that we just read, we find that there are three addresses. First, Joshua addressed the officers. Second, he would address those two and a half tribes, Reuben, the Gadite, Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that had taken possession of the land on the east side of the Jordan River. And then the people responding to Joshua. And through those three addresses, we discover three essentials to accomplishing God's work together. And so three essentials to accomplishing God's work together. Number one, we are to recognize the work we must do. We are to recognize the work we must do. Joshua assumed his command by first addressing what we see here, the officers of the people. And the first thing that he did was to address the task to which God had called him to do. He was to lead the people of God into the land that had been promised by God. And so he addressed the officers as they began that task. There's a couple observations I want to make concerning the work of God. The first observation is this, is that God's work requires organization. God's work requires organization. Joshua started by commanding um, the officers. When we hear the officers, we might think of military officers or military command. In reality, these officers were more like the spiritual leaders, those who had spiritual oversight of the nation of Israel. We encountered their formation back in Exodus chapter 18. If you remember that, uh, Moses has already led the people of God out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're at Mount Sinai. They spent the first two years of their life outside of Egypt at Mount Sinai. God was organizing them into a nation. It was there at Mount Sinai that God gave to the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. It was there that Moses would every day judge the disputes that the people would have. They would bring their disputes, whatever was going on, and Moses would judge them. So strenuous and so demanding had that work become that Moses sent his wife and their children back home to her father. And so she sends them back. And one day, while Moses is judging, sitting, having exercising authority over the people, Jeslo shows up and he watches Moses work. And at the end of the day, Moses, Jeth Jethro said to Moses, Moses, what you're doing is not good. 
And he gave them this instruction. He says, appoint for yourselves those who can be, oversee 1,000, those who can oversee 500, those who can see 50, those who can oversee 10, and let them handle this work. You teach the people the things of God, and then you handle the most difficult cases. It was a principle of delegation. And the, what we see here from the very beginning is that God's work requires organization. What was true for God's people then, in that day, is also true for God's people today. I think of the church of Jesus Christ and the work that God has called us to do. What has God given to the church? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. We read in the scriptures that God has given to the church, he has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And so for the church to be built up, for the body of Christ to be built up, for the church to flourish and thrive and to bear fruit, what is not needed, what is not needed is more pastors on the payroll. What is needed is more equipped saints. Think about what God has given to the church. He's given to the church elders, overseers and pastors, and he's also given us deacons. And both need to be employed so that the people of God are organized and equipped for the work of the ministry. One of the things that I've set for 2022, one of the goals that I've set for 22 is to reorganize our deacon ministry, that we would have godly and qualified men who would serve alongside the elders and meeting and ministering to the needs of the body of Christ. And I ask that you would pray with me towards that end, that in 2022, that deacons would be established here in our church to serve the people of God. Not only has God given to the church pastors and elders and deacons, but God has also given to the church spiritual gifts. Like God has given to you his spirit, right? If you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God has given you his spirit. And he's given you his spirit so that, you can, that we can sit, right? <laughs> God has given to us his spirit so that we might serve, right? We might do the work of God, Right? And so God has given to us what we need to be able to do the work. What needs, what we're reminded of here is, is that God's work is to be organized and we also see that God's work requires preparation, right? Notice what Joshua did. In verse 10, it says that he ordered the officers of the people, verse 11, and he gave them the instructions of, of what they were to say, right? Go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready, we might say, prepare your provisions. I might, might be able to say it that way. And so what God is saying here is that just as Israel, Israel needed to prepare for the work that was ahead, ahead, ahead of them, and that was going into the land that God had promised to them, there are, there's a work that God has for us, and we must be prepared for it. And so this week, as I was just thinking about that word prepare, how has God prepared us for the task at hand? Let me share a couple of thoughts with you. Four ways that God prepares us for the work that he has for us to do. I think one of the ways that God prepares us is through the discipline of 
humility, the discipline of humility. Um, over the years, there's a truth that I've come to learn, and I believe it's true, and it says, it goes like this, before one can be in authority, one must learn to be under authority, right? And you think about how Moses, or how God had prepared Joshua while he was serving under Moses, right? There is a place that God prepares us by putting us under someone so we might learn humility in order to be able to serve him more effectively. How is God using this discipline, the discipline of humility in your life? Many times, in our hubris, in our pride, we chafe under being under someone else's authority, do we not? We don't like it. And yet it is that discipline that God is using to shape us, to prepare us for the work that he has. There's the trials of hardship, right? God uses hardship to deepen our faith. One of the verses that I've been praying for us as a church this year is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. These afflictions have happened to us so that we might learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God who, what? <laughs> we had this test a couple Sundays ago. <laughs> Evidently, we're still failing. <laughs> there you go. What does he do? Raises the dead, yeah. So these afflictions, the trials of hardship have happened to teach us something, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's the test of small things. The test of small things. Jesus taught us that before we can be trusted with greater things, we must be found faithful with lesser things or small things, right? Are we faithful? Are we faithful in the small things? Are we faithful in fulfilling the charge that God has given to us even when no one is looking? That's the preparation that God has for us. Finally, the cultivation of habits. The habits of walking with God. The habits of reading his word. The habit of praying as, as Billy exhorted us this morning, both with the scriptures and with prayer. The habit of fasting. The, the habit of, of um, serving uh, without recognition. The habit of, of learning to be silent and not having to have the last word. The habit of scripture memorization and meditation. In order to walk with God before others, we need to walk with God in private. Jesus spoke about that in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, before you pray in the street corner, make sure you're praying in the closet. And so we see that God's work requires organization and requires preparation, but we also see that God's work requires faith. Notice what he says. I, I find it interesting in verse 11 when he says, tell the people... Get your provisions ready for three days from now. You're going to pass over this river and you're going to possess the land that God is giving to you. Those two things. He says you're going to pass over and you're going to possess. You can tell Joshua was a Baptist preacher, right? He got the two Ps working. Anyways, <clears throat> okay. Now you think about that. That river, as we saw last Sunday, was at, at, at um, flood stage right? That river represented what was impossible and impassable. And it was there that God brought the people of God so that they would learn that God is able to prove himself mighty on behalf of those who trust him. And so God takes us to those difficult places, one of those places where we say this is impossible, where this is impassable, we can't get through this, to show us 
that we must trust him always. God's work requires faith. And to possess the land. To possess the land. The generation that had gone before this generation. The parents of this generation that was with Joshua. When they had heard the reports of the spies in Numbers chapter 13. Do you remember what they did? They turned back. What did they hear? They heard, um, they heard from the spies, the cities are fortified and the people are giants. We're like grasshoppers. We can't go in, right? And the work of God always requires faith. The cities were still the same. The people were still the same. What was going to be different? It was that this generation was going to go into that land that received the promise of God because they were going to trust God to give to them the land. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. All of this has happened to teach us that we might not rely on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. The first essential that we see from this passage is that we are to recognize the work that we must do. The second essential that we see in this passage is that we are to remember the help that we must give. We are to remember the help that we must give. Give. In verse 12, turning from the officers, Joshua addresses those two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And look what he says in verse, uh, verse 12. Um, in verse 12, he says, But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, verse 13 rather, remember. Remember. Remember the command of Moses. That command of Moses takes us back in our Bibles to Numbers chapter 32. All right, you guys have your Bibles open? Let's go back to Numbers chapter 32 and let's look at what was it that Moses had commanded uh, Joshua. So you have Joshua, the book right in front of Joshua is Deuteronomy. The book right in front of Deuteronomy is the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 32. I want us to, to read uh, what was happening here in the scriptures and I want us to consider what, what, what Moses had commanded because I think it bears light on what we see happening here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. The Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands, uh, the lands of Jazir Gilead were suitable for livestock, right? Now remember where they're at. They're on the east side of the Jordan. They're outside of the promised land. And so these two tribes, initially was the, the Reubenites and the Gadites, they saw the land, and they said, hey, this is great land. We have... A lot of people, we have a lot of livestock. There's wide open, spacious land here. It's kind of like Texas, right? Wide open, spacious. And it's great for grazing. And so what do they do? In verse 5, they said to Moses, if we have found favor, to, favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Let us just settle here, Moses. Don't make us cross the Jordan. We want this land to be our land. Let us live here. And now notice the response of Moses in verse 6. And Moses said to the Gadites and the Reubenites, Should your fellow Israelites go to war while you sit here? Why? Why do you discourage the Israelites from crossing over into the land the Lord has given them? This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. And he recounts how they turned back in unbelief and fear. 
Let's just consider what was at threat here, what was being threatened here. And then I want us to come back and I want us to consider the health that is to be given. I think the first threat is this, is the threat is the danger of settling. We see that in verses 1 and 5, where the tribes of the Reubenites and the Gadites, they saw their numbers, they saw their livestock, they saw the land, and they said, hey Moses, let us just live here. Let us just live on the edge of the land that God had promised us. Instead of going in and taking possession of the land that God had given to us. Their attitude was, hey, this is good enough. We don't have to go any farther. Let good enough be good enough and let us stay here. And this decision that they're going to make here is going to be a decision that's going to haunt them. We're going to see the trouble that is caused by this decision. We're going to see it again in Joshua chapter 22. We're going to see it later on in the history, generations later, centuries later. This decision is going to be is going to have an adverse effect on these two and a half tribes. We're going to see it in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. Alan Redpath in his commentary on Joshua wrote about the consequences of this decision, this danger of settling, this danger of trying to take a shortcut to the promises of God. He wrote these words. These tribes who had tasted of God's best and enjoyed God's victory, who had led the army of the, pray, of the people of God into the land of blessing, were the first to be captured by the Assyrians when they evaded Israel. This is First Chronicles chapter 5. Taken captive, they never returned. They went down to defeat and into bondage, even though at one time they had led the people of God in the way of blessing. Listen to what he wrote. They chose, they tasted the blessing, they had entered into the land of promise, but they hankered after the world, its pleasures, its indulgence, and its sin, and they were trapped and caught and ensnared in it. The danger of settling. The danger of saying, I don't have to be all in with God. I can, I can give God a certain portion. This will be good enough. I'll settle here. And there's a danger to that. And we miss the blessing, the provision. We miss seeing God proving himself mighty on his people because we're unwilling to trust him completely. So not only is there the danger of settling, the threat there that we see happening in Numbers chapter 32, but there's also the danger of discouragement. Moses was alarmed when he heard what they were asking. And his response in verses 6 through 8 is, your decision is going to discourage the people of Israel from crossing into the land. They're going to do what their fathers did. They're never going to receive the promise of God. They're never going to, they're never going to experience that. That idea of, of when Moses says in verse 6, he says, or verse 7, he says, you're going to discourage them. Means to cause your fellow brethren to shrink back. Going to, you're going to hold your brethren back from receiving what God has for them. And so if you go down to verse 16 of Numbers chapter 32, we see what Moses commanded them then. Verse 16. Then they came up and they said to him, We would like to build pens here for our livestock and cities for our women and our children, but we will arm ourselves for battle and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our children, our women and our children will live in fortified cities for protection for from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes 
until each of the Israelites has received their inheritance. We will not receive any inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan because our inheritance has come to us on the east side of the Jordan. And then Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for battle, and if all of you who are armed cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out before them, then when the land is subdued before the Lord, you may return and be free from your obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land will be your possession before the Lord. Verse 23. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. This is the command of Moses in Numbers chapter 32 that we see now in Joshua chapter 1, right? And the principle here is, is that we are to recognize, or to remember rather, that there is a help to give. There is a help that we must give. And notice what Joshua said. Joshua said in verse 13, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Verse 14, your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but you and your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your land which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. You shall help them. Don't miss that. You shall be of service to your brethren. You shall assist them. You shall support them. You shall help them realize all that God has promised to them as well. And I think there's a principle here for us. And that principle is this, is that God has never intended for the Christian life to be lived isolated from or independently of others. Right? We need each other. The, The people of God need one another. We're to go through this journey on earth together it's not just well let's go to church for an hour be together then and then we'll be independent of each other until we come together no we're to go through this life together i think this is what the writer of hebrews meant in hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 let us hold um, unswervingly to the hope that we profess let's not waver in our hope let's not turn away from our hope the hope that we profess Profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. Not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's a help that we must give to one another. Now Richard Halverson, who used to serve as the chaplain for the United States Senate, I wrote the importance about encouraging one another in the Christian life. He used this illustration. He says, the larger the rock that you drop into a puddle, the greater the ripples that radiate, radiate out from the splash, washing across everything in the way, in their way as they circle toward the edge of the water. This is obvious when it comes to dropping pebbles and puddles, 
But what is equally obvious, yet too often overlooked by men, is the same identical principle in life. A man's impact moves out from him in concentric circles, or concentric waves touching everyone with the sphere of influence with greater or lesser force, depending on the man. The bigger the man, the greater the impact. Good or bad, it influences those around him. His sin moves out to cover the crowd just as much as his righteousness. Now think about that. Your decision to pray or not to pray at home has an effect. Your decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the workplace and to be obedient to him has an effect. Your activity, your inactivity has an effect. Joshua called the people then. The scriptures are calling God's people today saying remember, remember there is a help that we must give to one another. We're not to live isolated. We're not to live independent. We're to be committed to one another, helping one another in the work that God has called us to do. So essential number one is that we are to remember or we're to recognize that there's a work we must do. Number two, we are to remember that there is a help that we must give. Essential number three, we must realize the commitment we must make. We must realize the commitment that we must make. Verses 16 through 18, we have the response of the people of God to Joshua's leadership and it's a beautiful picture. We see it there in verse 16 and 17. Then they answered Joshua and they said, whatever you have commanded us to do, we'll do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will fully obey you. People were probably, their their memory is probably a little bit short-sighted, right? Um, But in their mind, they thought that they fully obeyed Moses, right? Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses, right? You think about those three phrases. We will do, we will go, We'll obey. That's a wonderful picture of commitment. Now think about Joshua here. Joshua, whose name means Jehovah or the Lord is salvation, is a picture of Jesus Christ. He foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about Joshua, I want you to think about Jesus, and I want us to to come back to these, these three action words, and I want us to think about our response Right? Just as Joshua followed the word and the will of God, so Jesus Christ came doing perfectly, following perfectly the word and the will of his Father in heaven. Notice what the scripture says about what, uh, notice what the scripture said about Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Psalm, Psalm chapter 40 speaks about prophetically about the coming of Jesus Christ. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. John chapter four, Jesus said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. You hear what Jesus is? Jesus is the fulfillment of what Joshua pictured for us in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? I hope you guys are with me. All right, here we go. And in the same way that the Israelites committed themselves to follow Joshua, we will go, we will do, we will obey. 
is the same commitment that we are now to make to our greater Joshua, our heavenly commander, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? In the same way that they followed him, you and I are being called today to follow our greater Joshua, our heavenly commander, Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful picture in the New Testament of what this commitment looks like. Mark chapter 15, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's, have been, he's been crucified. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, the scripture says, there are also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Jose's and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and they ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up from Jerusalem. But that verse in verse 41 struck me. They followed him and they ministered to him. These women who overlooked in their culture, discounted, they followed Christ, they ministered to him. That word ministered is, we get our English word deacon. They, they served the needs of Christ. I think this is what it entails to follow Christ. The, this is what it entails the Christian life, that we're to follow him and we're to serve him. Just as the people in Joshua's day said, we're gonna go, we'll do, we'll obey. It's the same kind of commitment that you and I are to make today. Some of us here, our commitment is lagging behind. We'll go, we'll do, we'll obey as long as, and we fill in the condition. And our commitment lags. There are some here today, there may be some here today, and you may be saying to yourself, I've never started following Jesus Christ. I'm trying to be a good person, but I've never surrendered my life to Christ. I've never said, Lord, you're, Jesus, you're the Lord, you're the master of my life. Today, that's, that's where your commitment needs to start. A place of surrender. Acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. The work that God is calling us today to do is not to take a piece of land like the Israelites was called. Our work is not to defend a boundary the work that God has called all of us to do is to advance the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. To advance the kingdom of God so that boy and girl, men and women of every age, every generation from every nation will know Christ as their Savior and follow him. That's the work. And for God's work to be accomplished, 
God's people must do it together. Not for a few. Monday morning I was with a group of men and one of the men brought up the 80-20 principle that's used in business. The 80-20 principle doesn't apply to the church of God. All, all of God's people must do all of God's work together. Right? That's the call today.